This is a Lip Media Podcast. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. It's the 1st of April 2019, I'm Benjamin Riley, and welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and today we have an interview for you with Sydney-based singer-songwriter Brendan McLean. Brendan has been releasing music for almost a decade now, and is probably best known to listeners of this podcast for his song House of Air. We discussed the song's sexually explicit film clip way back in episode 23 in a conversation about respectability politics. Beyond that infamous clip... Queer themes appear throughout Brendan's work, including on his most recent release and first album, And The Boyfriends. I met Brendan at his house in Sydney's Inner West, and we spoke about the evolution of his music, what it means for gay men to work closely with women, and the complex relationship between queer artists and queer art. Enjoy the interview. Brendan McLean, thank you for being on Queers. Thank you, Benjamin Riley. Tell me about the new album. That's probably a good place to start. You've just released it. It's been a long time in the making. I feel like you've been letting us know it's coming for like a year. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about the pre-order campaign. Um, yeah, it, it's out. It's called And the Boyfriends or Brendan McLean and the Boyfriends. It's, um, it's my first album, but definitely not the start of my career in any way. I, I made a lot of dance music before, um, but I wanted to make something with a band. So I made up this sort of imaginary band called The Boyfriends, um, made up of incredible musicians that I love and women that I have loved singing with before. And they sort of became this siren-esque choir that I don't want to call it a con- concept album because I know the difference is someone sitting down and and having an actual concept, but this just came to be after all the songwriting. All the songs were so tied together. The reasons that I wrote the album were so clear. Um, yeah, it feels like it's verging on concept album. What were the cr- reasons? Well, just to contact the the, the feminine sides of myself um, and the women in my life, because I just had a, a look at at my world. There's a lot of campness, but I think I'd, I'd, I'd left behind a lot of... of my feminine aspects that relate to, to sort of womanhood and, and truth and, and strength in a, in a way that didn't have to be so blasé or didn't have to be so flamboyant. So um, filling my record with my favourite female artists and having it produced by a woman, which is so surprisingly rare. Like, oh, sure. I would challenge anyone to find a male pop artist who's had their album executive produced by a woman in this country at all. I don't think you'll find an, another one besides Sarah Beltner. And and having having women drive the project with me just kept sort of pulling my head in, I think. How so? Um, I didn't get lost in the show. I always said if I was a, a drag queen, it would just be like, Brendan McLean in all caps and quotation marks around it. It's like this big, bold version of me that I've been forever. And, that, you know, that's the version of me that wants to entertain everyone at parties and seem really successful and always witty and, and in with a quip. I, and I guess I turned 31 and realised a lot of that was boring to me now and I don't like being that person. And and sitting down and having a look at myself, it was because I, I really didn't have a lot of women in my life to mm. to educate me in a different way. I think I ran from that. Um, Do you think that there's a, a, a 
like because it seems you know that we we talk about gay men as as being really strongly connected to women mm-hmm. culturally but uh but I suppose I've also seen that tension between embracing camp and in, embracing that kind of silliness yes uh but in spaces that are often where there are often not actually many women yeah women there or if they are there they they don't see themselves represented in a in a queer way so I suppose I wanted to sort of step away from looking at me so much and my queerness and my relationships and I yeah sort of funneled it through conversations with with great women in my life and and that became the album so you've spoken a bit about the impact of those collaborations with women on Mm. your process what was the impact on the content of your songs and of the music yeah well it was definitely different in the creative process from the start which for me is usually you know I go to a producer's house you're there for four hours you're meant to come up with some kind of great song and a, and a hit line, uh, and then that's sort of it. Maybe you'll work on it a second time and the track's finished. But uh, taking the advice of, of Sarah Belkner, I went back to pen and paper, um, and everything was, was driven from the lyrics and the narrative stories. Um, and they are quite narrative um, stories on this, this record. You'll hear about places and things and characters, and I... I take the perspective of different genders and different roles um, in the relationship as well. And you can't do that if you don't listen to the people who have actually lived through those roles in their, their own life. And so I wanted to take it back to um, a more tender place, a softer place, and a place that wasn't just based on camp. Because I don't think camp is a... There's feminine aspects to being camp, and I think people would see the, the character that I play, you know, through Fun Bang and in those videos and, you know, high fashion and high fun and high silliness as camp. Um, but I looked at that and I didn't see any strength at all. I, I thought that was a really weak character of a, of a queer person after all this time um, in, some of, in some of my moments i've looked at what i've made and what i've done over the past 10 years and i was like oh i don't know who i was singing that for i don't know who i'm dancing for i um it wasn't for me um so i think yeah i I took it back to a place where it mattered to me and apparently what mattered to me in my life was connecting with my mum and my sisters and my female friends that i left behind in high school because i thought that being gay was just going to stonewall and and that's it you know I, I was a big stereotype, and a part of that was putting down women as, as you know, fag hags and beards and handbags. Where do you think that comes from? For me, growing up in, in Cronulla in the Shire in a sort of very religious place, all I had was the, the camp morning celebrity TV guy and not much else. I guess I remember, you know, definitely... So much love for like Sam Sparrow and Darren Hayes from Savage Garden, who were definitely the first queer men in Australia that I'd ever seen. Um, so I knew I had to make, if I wanted to make music, it was it should be pop music, it should be stylish, it should be f- fashionable and palatable for the whole audience, and that you had to approach the music industry with this very like you're walking up to a jump rope. And waiting for your time and waiting for enough room in between gay artists. Like, oh, maybe if there's one this year, you don't want to push it. We've already got one. 
Mm. And I think that's something that um, musicians of colour, well, people of colour and, and women find in so many industries. So, well, we've already got one of them. You know, we don't need to actually integrate you into our programs. You know, Triple J would just call up at Mardi Gras. Mm, sure. You know, <laughs> like, and you, you get so you get so many articles around March when Mardi Gras is on and everyone's suddenly interested and then a month later it just it goes away or you get put on a, a panel of all queer people which you know happens to a lot of women in the industry as well it, it'll be women's night mm. you know at the local pub and that's it and you're not actually included in the general conversation about music so I just faced it from the outside um, did the best I could with the tools I had which was dancing pop music being fun, being a bit bitchy and sassy online. And then, yeah, that just stopped being important to me. I still like having fun and I, I am camp and I am flamboyant when I want to be, but it's it's not really something I look for in myself. And I, you can't hear it really in the album either. You can hear genuine fun and genuine joy that I had with my friends in the studio, but I don't think you hear, you know me trying to be peter allen anymore sure yeah which you know is all valid but it just wasn't me i'm interested in some of the stuff you were saying earlier about uh you know triple j only calling you up around mardi gras for example mm. could you talk a little bit about the relationship between because obviously like obviously you're interested in queer stuff right yeah. like it, it, it's it's very apparent in in your music i'm interested in the extent to which that's something that you have created for yourself and the extent to which you have been created as that Mm. thing by, for example, situations like Mardi Gras. It comes out of the, the very, yeah, small handbag of tools that I had, but then it became a sales point. It became easy to be at the front of a march. It became easy to host things. It, you know, I was doing marriage equality marches when I was 20 and, you know, now I'm 31. I don't know if I believe in marriage or life after love and all that, but I was out there on mamamia.com writing articles about it because that's what I would be celebrated for, you know? That's what made people book Brendan McLean because it was saying everything they wanted and there was it was a sign of hopefulness, but I just... I'd do anything, camp and quick and easy. I thought it was the right thing to do. I was just trying to impress a community that I wanted to call my family, um, which ultimately ended in me selling a, a very false version of myself. It was just, if you, if you took away the sexuality sometimes, there wasn't much left of me in it. Um, but I, sometimes I, I, I worry that I was a little bit used for, for things that I didn't really know much about and just told that, you know, this is what, what the Star Observer needs to hear or this is, this is the scoop that we want or how do you feel about this as a queer artist and as a queer musician, why did you write this? And the catchphrase became, you know, just... I think I, I screenshotted it once in a month. There was like eight articles that opened with like... The openly gay Brendan McLean, like before they even looked at my music, I was just gay. And it, that worked to my advantage in that it really helped me find a community um, of people I call family now. 
But at the same time, I wonder, you know, what did I stop discovering and what did I forget to learn about me um, during my 20s? Which is, I think, it happens to a lot of kids from the suburbs. I think we throw ourselves into the idea of what queer should look like and what, what is, well, for me, it was what gay looks like. It wasn't queer. I didn't know what that meant growing up. It was just gay. I was a gay artist, openly gay Brendan McLean. Um, and the conversation usually stopped there uh, because it wasn't important what I thought about the greater world, about politics that weren't about gayness. And then I think you just get addicted to the the ease and the attention and and all of that. It sounds like the new record is has been an opportunity for you to embrace queerness on your own terms in some respects. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I'm proud of it mostly because it does reflect where I am in my life, which has been a lot of therapy and a lot of reflection. And it was, it was never going to be what I had made because I don't like doing the same thing twice anyway. But I, I, I suppose in queerness, looking at And the Boyfriends as a queer record, it's a feminine record but it's truly feminine and and powerful. And and for me, I feel like I've reconnected with something. I, I kicked off the ship a long time ago, and that's why it's it's good, you know, realising and growing up. And <laughs> I don't know, why did it take me so long to realise you, you need women in your life? You need powerful female, like, icons around you. I mean, I feel like to some extent, this is just like classic getting out of your 20s yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. You know, your 20s just suck. Be- I feel like people don't say that enough. No, they do. They Well, it did. It, for me, it sounded like a lot of fun, but it it often wasn't. It was often very lonely. Um, and I, I, although this record is very sad and um, sometimes a little slow, it's left me in, in a place where I can keep making music forever. Um, and the that that's the gift of this. What? I know if I'd made another if I'd made another fun bang, I wouldn't wouldn't make music anymore. I'd just be like, well, that's that trick. Could you could you expand on that? What do you mean? It's allowed you to continue making music forever. It opened up a new like vein or a new a new branch started growing on the tree because I I realized that I had again. This is another coming of age cliche. Like just so much more to learn in music and and in life, which I, you know, a lot of it comes down to a strange massage I got in Queensland. Oh my God. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. There was, it was this Hawaiian oil massage and it was sliding me all over the table and twisting me and there's three different people learning about your body and stuff like that. And, and then a a doctor comes to you at the Woodford Folk Festival in Queensland. Of course it is. Just to give you some context. (laughs) And then the the doctor at the end kind of like held my neck and and said, you're either a straight man who hasn't come out or you're a gay man who's forgotten that women are important to you. Holy shit, that direct. Yeah. Yeah, wow. He's like, I don't know what it is and I'm not going to try and answer it. That's your stuff to sort out. But yeah, that was sort of four years ago. And that was huge for me. So, of course, I can keep going. I just remembered that 50% of the population are pretty important. Like, 
it's it sounds horrible, but it is a horrible way of thinking. It was a selfish way of thinking, but it was a camp way of thinking. I think it's a, a pretty common one for young gay men as well. Yeah. I would say I, do, I don't trust gay men with no female friends. Correct. Because, you know... Yeah, check the Instagram there's feed. Like no influence of women in your life yeah. at all. It seems kind you of You can go through your Instagram feed and there's, like, no women in the last 50 shots. Like, that is an issue. And, yeah. I don't know if it was exactly the right time to figure it out, but it came at the right time for me. Um, and it made the music better. I don't know how, but it did. <laughs> Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You touch on the question of whether this is a, and obviously this is a reductive term, so take it with a grain of salt, but whether this is a, a queer record or a feminine record, mm. uh, could you expand on that a little more? It's, it's a really spooky sentence to say because I hate it when I hear other gay artists say it, in that my sexuality was, was rather unimportant to the album writing process. It was stripping me back to my bare bones personality and I suppose the political fights, uh, you know, the Yes campaign, things like that. There's no politically queer songs on this record. I think there are um, songs about humanity and, and love from all different perspectives, but there are no, no ones that I, I look at except for Wolf Run, which are about anything but the women in my life. But, but it's a surprise that the song that I like most, which closes the record, um, is something I'd never heard someone talk about. I'd never heard somebody talk about domestic violence in queer relationships. But even even that, for me, was, was more about parental trauma being passed down to children. Yes, it happened to me in a same-sex relationship. And this is what I say about, you know, queer art versus the queer artist is that it's everything is going to naturally come through my frame and my lens. Um, you know, the lens of a 31 year old gay man, that is where all my music comes from. It can't not come from there. Sure. Um, so it starts to become a bit redundant when people point you out as a gay artist or a queer artist, because it's, it's so obvious to me, I'm gay and queer. So, of course, my music is going to be gay and queer as well. And I understand the, the mechanisms behind it. You know, you wave a flag so that people go, okay, yeah, that, that can be my family too. But when it's in the music industry or when it's in any industry, that becomes a commodity. People can commodify queerness and then sell it. Um, people in music industries these days realizing that sexual identity is a really great selling point right now. Um, so they use it. And that, that wasn't available to me growing up at all. That wasn't what you were allowed to do. So I suppose I've watched it grow, support it for a while, and then be like, I, I can see us being used now in a fashionable way, and that gets tedious as well. I feel like 
a lot of what you're saying is touching on the, the, the question at the core of a lot of this discussion that I'm really interested in, particularly around this idea of you as a queer artist or a gay artist. So to go back to the distinction between, you know, you singled out Wolf Run as a, as a track on the, the new record that is the only one that's explicitly about yes. a same-sex relationship. I mean, because the stuff that you're talking about are about kind of thinking about different perspectives of gender and, yeah. and connecting with femininity. Like, that's super queer, I think, in terms of, like, content. Mm. Do you see a, a meaningful distinction between what it is to be, say, a queer artist who's talking about experiences through the, the lens of, of that, yeah. which to, to me is, like, about identity in the ways that you're talking about as, as commodifiable and, and, and all of those things, uh, exploitable... Uh, and actually exploring ideas around queerness, which which I think certainly the new record absolutely does. Mm. I would call this record, yeah, sure, th- you know, this record could be queer and Fun Bang would be camp for me. But there's a certain, uh, you know, isn't it? It was John, kind of semantics, I feel like. J- at, John at Waters point, right? is, is like always like talking about campness. It's like the, the tragically brilliant and the brilliantly tragic kind of thing. And it's sad in its own way, as you said, I suppose this time I just included more people in my umbrella. And I think that's a good thing. And it's mm. always going to be a good thing. I, I think I realized my idea of of queerness um, and gayness was probably pretty narrow in my mid-twenties. And, and yeah, my umbrella's just expanded a little more. So maybe it becomes blurrier. Um, but to me, like, that's what queerness is like the, the, the blurriness is is kind of what it is like yeah. I, I i uh yeah i don't know i i really i feel like so much of this goes back to that distinction and this is such a kind of perennial theme for the podcast and and one that i am am a, you know somewhat sheepish to to um insert into the interview but this distinction between what you are or what a thing is and and what you are exploring or, or what you're experiencing through uh, making art in a particular way, those mm. things, it, that feels to me like an important distinction that that I see between your some, some of the stuff that you're talking about around how you are perceived by the yep. music industry and, and your, rela- your uh, conflict at times with that mm. and the actual art that you're making. And I think a lot of that comes from what I was focusing on and and this is this is for any anyone who creates it is is about where you you intend to focus your energy on and for me it was you know for fun bang it was everything and everyone could love me and everyone's on board with fireworks and and stuff like that it's very easy to access the world through those simple terms but on the other side of the the commodity is community and I guess I've spent more time with my community in Australia. Um, you know, the listening party was at my favourite bar, the, like the Bearded Tit, and I had fabulous performers, Betty Grumble and, and Nicola, uh, a lot of my favourite sort of queens performing songs from the record. Um, so like a pretty cool listening party that was thrown for me by Johnny Seymour. And that's only because I started going, okay, maybe it's, it's my job to get out amongst my own community and go, this is why it's beautiful, instead of my old perception, which was, you know, everyone hates me, I can't find myself in here, it's your fault, um, and I refuse to go outside. 
Mm. <laughs> which, which is a, a like I think a super common. I, I hear that from gay men all the time. Yeah. yeah, there's no community for me. Blah blah blah. But it is there. But you, I didn't know, and I, I maybe it happens to a lot of young gay men. Is I didn't know that I had to sort of put in my fair share, you know, and and turn up to those small meetings or go to that weirdly small gig or you know put your arm out and like put yourself on the line for your community, which is, is what I do in a heartbeat now. So I suppose I, in, in myself, just care more about the people around me. And that, that comes through in the music. And, and it'll, it'll probably come through in the, in the, the shows as well and in the audience I'm getting. When you, when you put something out, and this is something that Sarah Belkner, my producer, said to me, she was like, wait for the reviews. They'll be different. Um, and they're approached with care. They're really well-written reviews that are out there for, for And the Boyfriends right now. And I was surprised. She said, you shouldn't be surprised because you put that care in at the beginning and you looked out broader and people will, will hear themselves in it. And everything that I hoped to give only arised because I went out and did it. And that's the same with your community. If you if you don't turn up to the shows or the, the local book reading group, you, those things vanish and you don't have a community anymore. Um, it's a really boring sort of neutral grain way of saying you know you get out what you put in. But uh, you know I agree. I think that's it, true. Yeah, and that became yeah abundantly clear through finding my sort of logical family um, all over Australia, really, and. I know that people expect me now to, when I put on a show, to make it safe, um, to make it queer-friendly, um, inviting for, for everybody to be and to be themselves. And that's my job now, you know. That's my job to help build community that I didn't see there before. Um, and for some reason, it's, it's these nine songs that right now have made me feel like this is the version of myself I want to offer to the queer community, which is that I, th I think, especially as gay men, we can afford to be a little more vulnerable, a little more honest with people, um, and to talk about some of the things that really do make us sad um, or that still hurt, because those conversations often whittle away after a, a country gets same-sex marriage and mm. we forget to look at what hurts us and and there are a lot of wonderful people out there they're doing it um you know nick hollis for example for all the work he does um i want to be the musical version of nick hollis you know <laughs> Oh my God, I'm sure uh, he's, he's uh, some, somewhere out there in, in Melbourne, probably Nick just got an erection. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, he deserves it. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know why. Yeah. So there's only really one other thing I wanted to ask you about, which I, I can't get away with not asking you about, given that we've talked about it explicitly on the podcast, explicitly Yay! on multiple I levels, which about. is uh, the House of Air video. Obviously, this is a video I've talked about a lot, but I feel like... My music videos do live a little bit separately from my music. Okay. Um, and I'm... Uh, weirdly, I've always just been obsessed with making music videos. And one of my favourite ever, you know, musicians to make music videos is George Michael. And I remember growing up um, 
seeing outside, which, you know, has all the helicopter footage and the disco toilets, um, and sexual freak, um, with the many F's in freak and just thinking how sexy it was and how powerful that made me feel Mm. as a young man, like going, wow, that I'm allowed to do that. Like, like it gives me just tingles thinking about it. And I suppose I, I found music videos are a short, easy way to send a message, almost of an emotion. Um, you know, there's usually one really clear energy to my clips, be it from stupid, winner, free to love. You know, I, it's, it's almost like the songs give those videos a beautiful identity and a character that I just easily follow, you know, as a performer. You know, I was always a performer before I was a, mu- a songwriter. So it just kind of all works together. And there was just that one track that I hadn't used. But it always reminded me of, of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Okay. Um, House of Air, those old synths that... And, I mean, Relax is the queer music video of all time. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen the Relax video. It's full on, you know? It's just leather men grinding and jizz <laughs> innuendo <laughs> everywhere. Amazing. The kind of thing, like as a young gay man came on the TV and you were like, oh God, like my parents can't see me watching this, which is, I suppose, where I, I was okay with everything that Brian and Carl have offered. I mean, I don't want to... Because you've, you've worked with them on a, a number of... Clips. Yeah, they made Stupid and Winner. And they've, they've also... A lot of their films are, are queer-based, whether it be about... Um, oh, what's the queer language? The oh, Polari. Polari. Yeah, they've yeah. done... Uh, videos on Polari and, and they, they're quite renowned for putting queer front and center. And so I guess when I went with, went to them with the essay, um, the, the, the uh, gay semiotics, yes, yes, Hal Fisher, Hal Fisher from 1977 or 66, one, one double number, 77, uh, 77, 77 in San Francisco. Uh, I think they just started drooling and more than my own reflections of it was, is just, somebody's uh, reading of it that was just gay men being joyful. And that was the most powerful thing that we did. And I don't think we even knew what we were doing with that. We were having fun. We knew it was naughty. I mean, it's it's a, it's more than innuendo, you know. Well, yeah, there's no innuendo. No. Um, and so I think I went into the, the first meeting on House of Air with innuendo in mind. Of the yeah. Banana yeah, yeah. peels, Boston Powers, blah, blah, blah. And... That was that was when they just said, "Well, why don't it? Why, why don't we not do innuendo?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> I, I didn't know what they meant until I came back the next week and they booked you know three porn stars. Holy and shit. I was so like, it happened quite quickly. Two weeks. I found the book. Two weeks later, we were filming it. Wow, which is crazy. That's that's never happened in anyone's lifetime that a music video turned around that quickly. But when I, I think it was just a roller coaster of of emotions and excitement and realizing what we were doing, me genuinely loving this essay uh, and what it meant for the, the queer community to have a code. And I think that's the, the, the part of, of music we'll always have is that when you hear a song by a queer artist, if you're queer, you're going to hear something in it. That, totally, totally. That somebody else won't. And there's something so... I was talking to someone about this just the other day. Like, there's something so sexy about, uh, like, furtiveness. Yeah. The kind of like secrecy of, of seeing something sexy and something someone else won't understand. Yeah. You know, whether it, I, I've 
tried it in, in you know, undetectable, just talking about amyl nitrate and just the wink of someone going, oh, yeah, I've, I've met up with a boyfriend before who didn't use it. And now he does. Like, <laughs> you know, he's learned some stuff. And, and that's that's how they the stories sort of come through. Or, you know, Troy Sivan winkingly nudging millions of kids with bloom and being like, you know, we're allowed to have fun with our sexuality. Like, it's such a, a hopeful thing. And I suppose we just took it to the nth degree um, with House of Air. And whenever people got angry, it's because we were just joyful and happy. And if you, if you watch it, and you should watch it again, <laughs> uh, and again and again and again, I, I'm not surprised that it became a little sort of, you know, protest in Russia because... It was powerful. Um, just seeing gay people be happy. I'll, I'll always be so proud of that. Definitely, it's married to Fun Bang now. Like, Fun Bang is, you know, the, the, the jewel in the crown of that is the video clip, I suppose. And, and that was me exploring joy as a queer person. And now I'm experiencing a different emotion through my music. Um, and, and uh, a while ago, you asked me why it made me feel like I could do anything. And that's because I've learned that I can be queer and many things as a musician. And now I intend to find out just how many things I'm allowed to be and allowed to write about as a musician. Brendan McLean, thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Ben here again. I hope you enjoyed the interview. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a regular episode of Queers, but in the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch, as always, you can do so via email at queerspodcast at gmail.com, or we're on Facebook and Twitter at Queers Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Ben C. Riley, and Simon is at Simon Copland on Twitter, and at Simon Copland Writer on Facebook. You can find episodes of the podcast on our website, queerspodcast.com, or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or pretty much any other podcast platform, including, finally, Spotify. If you want to support the show, we also have a Patreon. Throw a few dollars our way at patreon.com slash queerspodcast to get exclusive content and to support the work we do. We'd very much appreciate it. A shout out to our new podcast network, Lip Media. We'd also love it if you checked out some of their other shows all of which are LGBTIQ-focused, and you can do that at lip.media, L-I-P-P. Finally, if you're enjoying Queers, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way we have to find new listeners. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll see you next time.